Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, March the 20th, 2022. It is currently 3.56 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, here in a little, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, about an hour and a half. I have to leave Abilene, Texas and drive to Ovalo, Texas for our evening worship service. And this evening, we will be working on the book of Jude. We've spent three weeks kind of working on the introduction. We're still not done with the introduction. So this will be sermon number four, where we really dig in uh, to the introduction to the book of Jude. I've really laid a, a very important foundation. We've talked about the faith. We've talked about invasion. We've talked about insurgency. We really laid this down. We went through a lot of church history. And then tonight, we're going to really just start with a kind of an overview of the book, and we'll give an outline of the book. That will start at 6 p.m., so make sure you tune in live. You can listen to us live via the Church One app if you so desire. That'll be at 6 p.m. Central Time, so make sure you tune in. But before I pack everything up and drive to the church here in about an hour and a half. I wanted to turn on the microphone again and have kind of a a late, well, yeah, a, a a Sunday afternoon, maybe maybe late or early afternoon, depending on where you live. Maybe a completely different time, whatever time it may be. I, but for me, a Sunday afternoon afternoon <laughs> devotional study from the book "The Imitation of Christ" by Thomas Akempis. We've been working through the book now what, two years? I'd have to go look at when the first episode was ever done. It's, I think it's been two years now, maybe even going on three years, that we've been working on The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, a book written over 500 years ago, and a book that has had a profound impact on professing believers and all different theological streams, right? Protestant, Catholic, the book has just had a, a massive impact and has been greatly influential. So we're working through the book, not because we agree with everything in the book, but just because of its significance in church history. And we have been challenged. It's given us plenty to think about. There are times I agree with the book. There's times I strongly disagree with the book, but it makes for great theological discussion. It makes, uh, it makes, I think, I think it's been, it's been wonderful. So I, some of you have absolutely loved the series. Some of you have not loved this series, but whether you love it or don't love it, hopefully you realize that if you don't love this one thing we do, as much content I, that I produce in a, a year, what I mean, close to like 900 episodes a year, I think that there's plenty there that you can find what you like, all right? So if you don't like this, I understand, but if you, if you do, then that's great. You can always let me know. You can go always give me your thoughts and feedback on anything we're working on, newsif at yahoo.com. But since I don't have a lot of time, let's jump right in. We are in a we're in a section of the Imitation of Christ. We're in book two. Remember, the Imitation of Christ is broken down into four parts. We are in book two, chapter eight. Book two, chapter eight, which is called "Familiar Converse with Jesus." I'm calling this a conversation with Jesus because this is this the way because of. A familiar converse with Jesus. I didn't want to make sure that anyone kind of misunderstood what Thomas Akempis was talking about. He's talking about having a conversation with Jesus. And as soon as you go in that direction, well, I'm going to become very cautious 
and uh, I'm going to be throw I'm going to throw up <laughs> lots of warnings because this really feels like on one hand a little bit of Catholic mysticism mixed in. So you have a little bit of Catholic mysticism, which I think in many cases is the forerunner of what becomes the charismatic movement and American evangelicalism and, and uh, evangelicalism around the world, the, the charismatic influence. And I think it kind of, kind of, it, it's very much, I think the charismatic movement really flows from Catholic mysticism. In many, in many aspects, I, I believe that that is accurate, and, and at least to a certain level. You could argue with me how much influence, how, how little influence, but you can't deny that Catholic mysticism, some of their ideas and concepts definitely show up in modern the modern-day charismatic church. And if you know anything about me, I obviously reject the charismatic, charismatic theology, everything associated with the charismatic movement. I'm very much opposed to it. So here is just a foundational belief that I have, and I want to make sure you understand this. I believe in, when we say sola scriptura, which is a common phrase that Protestants love to throw around, scripture alone, some people say scripture alone, but they don't actually mean scripture alone because they say scripture alone and then five seconds later say, God told me, God said to me, or I was praying and God said this to me. Now, they're not talking about an audible voice. They may not be talking about some charismatic experience of a vision or an audible voice, but they're, they are saying that somehow they believe God is speaking to them and I guess internally in some still small voice that's not audible that they're able to discern is God's voice, that's not scripture. So that means they believe God is speaking to them outside of the Bible. Well, I, you already know all of the problems I have with this. Number one, if God is speaking to you directly outside of the Bible, then you can't tell me the Bible is the completed revelation of God because God is continuing to give you revelation. Not only that, the revelation he just gave you is literally equal to the word of God. And you can say that it's not, but it is because if you were to write it on paper, just think how you would write this. God said to me, I heard God say, God spoke to me. And then immediately you would, you would open quotation mark, and then you would put what God said and close quotation mark. You literally on paper would be writing down what you are claiming to be the very words of God. That, that, that has to be equal to scripture. You're saying God told you something. God said something to you. Even if you don't believe it's in an audible voice, that's still you're claiming it's the words of God. Now, first, if you're wrong, you just put words in the mouth of God, which is basically blasphemous. Not only that, I think you're adding to scripture because God just spoke something directly to you. It's a revelation outside of the Bible. So therefore, God's revelation is not complete. Not only that, it becomes even more confusing because person A will say God told them this, person B will say God told them this, and the two messages contradict one another. Well, then, wait, what, what, what is going on? Like, what, 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 who, who is God actually speaking to? And now it becomes spiritual anarchy and confusion. Not only that, if you feel God is speaking to you and you're hearing the voice inside of you, well, guess what is inside of you? A sinful nature. Guess what is inside of you? Emotions, desires, motivations. So trying to decipher what is God and what is you becomes like you'd have to spend six months trying to figure out was that God or was that me? What it's just it just it just goes crazy. Well, I have to I have to once again state all of that because Thomas Akempis really goes in a very kind of charismatic way here 
with this idea of God speaking. I believe if you want to hear God speak to you, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read the Bible out loud. Outside of that, I don't, you're not, I, I, I completely reject that you're hearing from God because it, it, there's just, it becomes impossible. And what people will say, well, I, I, I test it with scripture. There's some things God supposedly tells people that cannot necessarily be tested with scripture because there's nothing in scripture about it. Where to move, who to marry, all of these things. And it, it just, it just, it just ends up, we end up looking crazy, foolish, contradicting ourselves, and it just becomes a mess. Scripture is what we have, the inspired and fallible word of God. It is sufficient. It is God's completed, closed revelation. That's how we hear from God, right? I have to say all of that because right here, chapter 8, book 2, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. He begins this chapter, again, familiar converse with Jesus, with these words. We've already, we looked at just the first, like, first sentence and then and the first paragraph. We're going to advance it a little bit, and we're going to take kind of a detour because I want you to think of two concepts. You'll see what I mean here in just a minute. Here we go. Thomas Kempis starts this way. When Jesus is present, all is good and nothing seems difficult. But when Jesus is absent, all is hard. I'm going to approach this a little different than we did last time to kind of advance this conversation. In the life of a believer, on one hand, we would all have to acknowledge Jesus is always with us. He's always present. He said he would never leave us. He said he would never forsake us. And we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we are sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit never departs from us. So in one, I mean, we're, we're considered the temple of, of God because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And if we don't have the Spirit, we're not a child of God. So in one sense, he never departs, he never leaves. So here's the question. As a Christian, can we ever speak of God not being present with us? In other words, can we say when Jesus is present, all is good and nothing uh, and nothing seems difficult, but when Jesus is absent, all is hard. Now, Thomas Akempis, I don't think, is trying to compare a believer with an unbeliever. I think he's trying to compare that there are times in a believer's life where Jesus seems to be present and everything is good and nothing is difficult. And there seems to be time in a believer's life where Jesus doesn't feel to be, or Jesus feels to be absent and everything is hard. Is that even, is that even biblical to speak in that language? Is that even right? He goes on to say, when Jesus speaks not inwardly to us, all other comfort is worth nothing. Now, again, I think Jesus speaks inwardly to us through his external word, which is outside of us. And I think, if, and, and then that speaks to us inwardly. But if I'm listening for a voice inwardly, I can't decipher that because there's too many other things going on inwardly. That's why God's word has to be given to us externally. It's outside of us, which I think is important. So when it says he speaks to us inwardly, uh, uh, all other comfort is worth nothing. So in other words, when Jesus is speaking, when Jesus is not speaking inwardly, all of the other comforts of life is worth nothing. It, it can't truly comfort you. The only thing that will truly comfort you is God's word speaking to you inwardly. But I think that that inward speaking is the external word of God that we read and we meditate. 
and we memorize and we hide in our heart. That is how God's, if you want God's word to speak to you inwardly, you have to hide the external word of God in your heart. That's how God speaks to you inwardly. If you want to hear God speak to you inwardly, hide his word in your heart, and you do that through meditation and memorization. And it's true. If we don't have that inward word of God in our heart, then all other comfort, I don't think, I don't, I think will always prove to be insufficient. Did not Mary rise immediately from the place where she wept when Martha said to her, the master has come and calleth for thee, John chapter 11, verse 28. Happy hour when Jesus calls from tears to spiritual joy. It is, it is a happy hour when Jesus calls from tears to spiritual joy. It is happy. There is comfort when we hear God's word inwardly because we've hid it in our hearts. Now, he's, look, he's talking about more of a mystical experience where we kind of hear God inwardly. And I, I again, I reject that concept because you're, you're, you may just be hearing your own thoughts. It may be the own figment of your imagination. How are you going to decipher it? I can decipher God's word because I can pick it up, read it, and memorize it and hide it in me. How dry and hard are you without Jesus? How foolish... And vain, if you desire anything out of Jesus, is not this a greater loss than if you should lose the whole world, right? So how dry and hard is it without Jesus? If, if you don't have Jesus, how hard is it? How foolish is it? That, that's, that's the greatest loss. To lose Jesus is far greater than losing the entire world. That's what he's wanting us to understand. But again, he's referring to this, we have Jesus, we don't have Jesus. Well, he doesn't appear, Thomas Akempis doesn't appear to be referring to that. Now, I know with his Catholicism, he could be referring to being in a state of grace and not in a state of grace. Using the Catholic concept, if you commit a mortal sin, you're no longer in a state of grace. He could be going from that vantage point. But if we, if we throw out his Catholicism and we just ask this question to us as non-Catholics, as Protestants who reject Catholicism, it's a good question. Is it biblical? Is it theologically sound to say Jesus is with you or not with you? Even though the Bible says that he's always with you. Like, is there, is there a way that, well, Jesus is always with you in one way, but is there another way to say Jesus may not be as close or as present? Let me try this. Let me throw out two concepts here. And I'm not, go, I'm not saying this is what Thomas Akempis has in mind. I'm trying to take, I think he has mortal sin, venial sin, no longer in a state of grace concept in his mind. I think his Catholicism is coming through here. But if we reject that, what can we take away from this? So I want to throw out this concept, right? I'm not going to spend a lot of time really unpacking it here, but I want you to write down two words, relationship and fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. Now, the dictionary defines relationship in these terms. Relationship the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected 
or a relationship is the state of being connected. Relationship is the state of being connected. Now, if we are a a Christian, we are connected to God. I am in him. He is in me. The Holy Spirit seals me until the day of redemption. I am adopted. I am a part of the family of God. I am saved. I am kept. Uh, He is with me in that relationship. It is, we are connected. That's relationship, the state of being connected. Fellowship is defined like this. Friendly association especially with people who shared one's interest. They they valued fun and good fellowship as the cement of their community. So fellowship is friendly association. Relationship, you're connected. Think of it this way. Relationship is your connection. Fellowship is your closeness within that relationship. You can be connected, but not close. So is it possible? Is it Now, I'm giving you these concepts. I'm not yet trying to demonstrate whether these are biblical or not biblical. I'm leaving that for you to struggle with. From a biblical perspective, do you think it's fair to say that I am, I'm connected to God? I think, I think that is a biblical concept, that I am connected by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. He indwells me. I'm in him. God is in me. You get, you get the concept. We are connected. We're adopted. We're chosen. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I, it, it's, I'm, I'm connected. The connection is determined by God. He will not lose any. That is his. All right. I can go from scripture after scriptural reference. We are kept by God. He's not going to lose anything. We are connected. But within that connection, within that relationship, are there times of a closeness of fellowship? And then there are times where that fellowship doesn't seem to be there. There seems to be a distance. He doesn't seem to be, he's present in, in my relationship, but it's not present in a closeness and a, as the, the description says here, a friendly association. There seems to be a, a distance as far as that fellowship is concerned. Now, if that is true, if that is true, we could take Thomas Akempis to be writing it along these lines. All right, so let me go back. When Jesus is present in fellowship, all is good and nothing seems difficult. Now, if we read it that way, okay, does that make some sense to you? In other words, when you feel that closeness to Jesus, there's a friendly association. It's a closeness. There's a sweetness in that fellowship. So you've already got the relationship. Now there's a closeness in that fellowship. Well, then everything seems good. Nothing seems difficult. But when Jesus is absent, there's not a closeness. Everything is all hard and difficult and discouraging, and depressing, and it doesn't just feel right. When Jesus speaks not inwardly to us, all other comfort is worth nothing. When we don't have that sweet fellowship where the word of God seems to be speaking to our heart continually, right? Then then when we don't have that, then all the comfort in the world won't fix it because what we need is that fellowship with Christ. We need that closeness with Christ. We've got the relationship, but we need the fellowship. Okay, Uh, And then did not Mary rise immediately from the place where she wept when Martha said to her, the master has come and calleth for thee. 
It's a happy hour when Jesus calls from, from tears to spiritual joy. When we, we may be, we may have tears, but when we hear the voice of God inwardly because we've, we're, we have a closeness to Jesus, we're meditating on his word and we're hiding in his heart, that that turns into spiritual joy. How dry and hard you are, how, how dry and hard are you without Jesus? When you're without Jesus, everything seems dry. There's just a spiritual deadness. Everything seems difficult. Nothing seems to satisfy. Everything seems like, what is the point? But when that fellowship is there, it changes everything. How foolish and vain if we desire anything out of Jesus. Is not this a greater loss that if you should lose the whole world? What can the world profit you without Jesus? So in other words, we, we should so desire this closeness to Jesus that, 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 that to lose that is worse than losing the entire world. If we lost the entire world, it could not compare to losing that fellowship with Jesus. We can't lose the relationship because the relationship was all put there by God. He say, the salvation is a work of God alone, a monergistic salvation. To be without Jesus is a grievous hell, and to be with Jesus a sweet paradise. If Jesus is with you, no enemy shall be able to hurt you. He who finds Jesus finds a good treasure, yea, a good above all good. And he who loses Jesus loses much indeed, yea, more than the whole world. Poor is he who lives without Jesus, and rich is he who is well with Jesus. Now, again, I think Thomas Akempis is writing from a Catholic theological perspective. He was a Catholic monk, so obviously he was. Um, and I think he's looking at it maybe more from if you're in if you're in mortal sin, then you're no longer in a state of grace. You're no longer in a state of grace. Then, in a sense, you're without Jesus until you are restored, penance, confession all of the indulgence, all the different things that would Catholic system would put into place. So, so I'm going to reject his Catholic position. I'm going to reject some of his, what, 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 what we would call in 2022 charismatic tendencies. And I'm just going to look at it with these two distinctions, relationship and fellowship. And I want you to just think about your Christian life. Look, there are times in my Christian life, I'll just speak for me. Now, as someone who does Christian podcasting ministry, I have to, you know, constantly be ready to preach and to teach. And I, I, I can do that at any time. But sometimes I can do it just because I, I, I'm very good at just finding something and talking about it. I can, I can just do that without much difficulty. I can talk, 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 talk. Wonderful. Great. But there are times I'm just doing it because I have to. It's my job. It's my responsibility. I'm just doing it out of responsibility. But there are other times where there's this fellowship and this closeness where every, every, every verse in the Bible just jumps out at me and it's like, boom, there's this idea and this idea and this idea. Every sermon, I'm like, oh, there's this and this and this. And then there's times where I, it's just kind of like, it's not about a fellowship. It's just kind of like, okay, time to read, read the Bible, time to listen to a sermon. And there's a dryness and there's a deadness to it. And when that happens, I, be, I begin, I think you can begin to see all of the different 
negative side effects it has in your life. And you may start looking for comfort in other things. You may start looking to other things for comfort, for joy, other things. And many times you'll find yourself turning to those things which are sinful and they never truly comfort and they never truly satisfy. We have to find ourselves constantly in a close, sweet fellowship with God, which is the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate contentment, and the ultimate um, I, I think the ultimate comfort, the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate contentment comes from a sweet fellowship with God. Now, how do we develop that sweet fellowship with God? Well, I think one, we have to humbly, constantly acknowledge our own sin. We have to see that. And then we have to pursue a closeness with God. Even when we don't feel it, we have to continue to pursue it. Prayer, praise, thanksgiving, memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture, studying scripture. We have to just constantly keep ourselves in the presence. And sometimes that dryness will break through and we'll experience that closeness again. Now we may go right back and fall out of that closeness. We have to work ourselves back into it. I think it's a constant struggle in the Christian life. I just want you to write down those two concepts. Relationship is a connection. Fellowship is a closeness within that connection. You can have the connection and not the closeness. I think there's, I think there, there's something, to, I think there is a biblical concept there. I'm not saying it's clearly, you can argue with, you could, you could argue with me how clear this concept is in scripture and how much we may be imposing it on scripture. I don't want to impose anything on scripture. I just think that this is a reality in our Christian life. We've all felt that, that time of closeness and it's awesome and we're excited about the things of God. And, it, and sometimes it really feels like, man, it feels like we're almost walking on a cloud. Everything seems wonderful. And then all of a sudden that seems to fall apart. And then sometimes we, we, just, we just end up, what well, we end up hurting ourselves, destroying our relationships. We, we, we sometimes make a mess out of everything. And it, sometimes it can be linked back to we, we, we were not close with God. I think there has to be some truth to this. I think there, I, think of this. This could be an interesting exercise. If we read the Psalms, where Psalms of David, where David seems to, to describe this hunger and thirst for God and this closeness and how wonderful God is and how awesome God is, that seems very different than the man walking out on the roof, seeing a woman bathe and said, bring that woman to me, having physical relation with her. And depending on how you understand what happens there, whether she was willing or unwilling, he has a relationship with her, then covers, then, you know, has her husband killed and then ends up with her as a, as a wife. That seems like a different David. And I think when our fellowship with God goes, then we look to everything else to bring contentment satisfaction, peace, and we look everywhere else. And those things doesn't, they don't truly satisfy. And that in many cases, they actually then, they actually become then, they hinder any future fellowship with God until we deal with them, confess them, broken over it, and we have to move back to it. I think it's an interesting cycle here. Thomas Akempis wants us to see the distinction between Jesus being there and Jesus not being there. He, I think looking at it from mortal sin, venial sin, we need to look at it from the concept of relationship and fellowship. I'm just going to leave it there with you today. I'm just going to leave it right there. There's more I could say. I would love to get your thoughts on this, whether you agree, disagree, 
how you've processed this in your own mind throughout your Christian life, your struggles with this, let me know. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Now, I could just press through and finish this chapter, but I'm not because I want to just, well, because I'm not worried about how fast we get through the book. Obviously, we've been, I think we started it in like 2018, 2019. I don't even, it seems like it's been forever, but it's been probably at least two years. I don't even know when we started. Um, Maybe it's 2020. I don't know. But however how long, um, obviously, we're not worried about how fast we get through it. It's just a great little thing to pick up for devotional thoughts and to get us thinking and having these theological discussions because I like to make theology central to your life. And this concept of relationship and fellowship I think is a central concept that we need to develop even a better understanding of. All right, I'm going to stop there. The next time you hear me, I'll be coming to you from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church, 6 p.m. Central Time. We'll be live on all of the platforms, the Book of Jude. I hope you can join us uh, there. If you need any questions about the Church One app, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. You'll want to do that quickly uh, before I get to church and won't have time to answer your email. All right, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. God bless.